I am Citizen 44. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For what? I got all my pens. I ordered every type. They're uh, all black art pens. Yeah. So now I'm going to just start doing a lot of inks. Cool, man. Just got them in the mail today. Nicole said, I love you and thank you. I love you too. That's awesome. You know what? You're reminding me of something that I'm not doing. <laughs> what? Well, I said I was going to start doing that. I've been having these little things pop up around me about drawing as I examine myself again, not drawing. Yeah. The only time I draw is every morning when I go down to Rouse. The girl who just had a baby has me do cartoons every morning, which helps. Right on. This is not an excuse. It's just a fact. The air quality outside today, right now, is worse than it's ever been in the history of this town. Oh my God! Still fires there? Well, they're not that close, but the smoke is absolute poison. Oh my God! So you're staying inside? Doug went out of town today, so we had lunch around the corner. But that's the only outside I've done today. I did jump on the bus yesterday to do laundry, and it was so disgusting. Two nights ago, when Zoe and I came out of the movies, it was like a punch yeah. in the face. It was so thick and gagging. It's yeah, it's really yeah. bad. It's, it's really What'd bad. You see? We saw Leave No Trace. How was it? It was really good. She and I held hands and cried through a lot of it. Why? What's it about? I don't want to tell you. I don't want to ruin it for you. Well, I just want to know the basic. Not the ending, not the beginning. What's the story about? Father and daughter are trying to live on their own and break away from society and having difficulty doing that. Oh, okay. Who's in it? Nobody. Oh. Is it a foreign film? No. Okay, what's, what's it called again? Leave No Trace. That is the creed, the credo, the whatever that's called for Burning Man, Leave No Trace. Okay. You know, we went and saw Mission Impossible. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. And action from beginning to end. I mean, it was just a fun movie. Not real bloody, just fun. There's nothing you guys think about. There's nothing good, nothing bad. It's just spy, you know what I mean? It's entertainment. It was fun. Yeah. That's what I like. Kick shit. Kick shit? When I go to the movies... I don't go there and see what's really going on. I know what's going on. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. I want to go there and have fun. How you feeling? <laughs> I'm here. Okay. You're opening show number 52. Say what? You are opening show number 52. What's that? You know, the, oh, the little thing I do. Am I on the show now? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but no. Yeah, well, I'm recording now. Yeah. yeah. You never know when I'm doing it anymore, do you? No, I don't. Yeah. You used to know because... I used to be differently different when I was doing Yeah, things. and your voice was different. Interesting. But sometimes you're... <laughs> Sorry to talk. I know. Anyway, what's the show? The guests today are Marla Estes and Rob Schlapfer, and they are two people here in the Rogue Valley who put on workshops and talks, bringing us to the table and uh, uh, helping us learn how to talk to each other. Oh, Okay. I gotta call out and thank her and Zoe. Okay. Yeah, I love you, Mark. Love Thanks you. again. Love you too, Dad. Have a great rest of the day. Give Mom a kiss for me. Uh, maybe. Okay, I don't. Will. Okay, see you later. Okay.
Okay, okay bye. bye. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 52. On today's show, we have Marla Estes and Rob Schlapfer. These are two people who are very interested in helping those on the left have the ability to speak intelligently and calmly with those on the right and vice versa. They put on workshops and have discussions about ways that we can get together and talk about the issues and how we can intelligently navigate through those issues. So that's great. Glad to have them on the show. Super nice people. Ashland, Oregon is at DEFCON 5. The uh, particulate matter is above 200, and that is the worst it has been ever as far as I know. And uh, it's just not good, and I don't see uh, any relief in sight anytime soon. That being said, I'm actually moving out of Ashland at the end of this month. I needed to figure out some things in my life as far as generating revenue and how to be here. And it's very expensive here in Ashland, Oregon. And frankly, I'm no longer interested in working as hard as I need to just to pay the rent. So through uh, all the blessings I receive, because I am totally taken care of, I received a call from my friend Darren in Moscow, Idaho, offering me work and to come live in a new place that is seemingly really cool. It's a college town, about the same population as Ashland, around 20,000, no tourism. There is Idaho State University there with about 13,000 students. And uh, it's just a new thing to do. Zoe's last year in high school is this year, and she may end up in uh, Portland or the Washington State area, which would put us closer together. And, uh, you know, Sam is going into high school this year, but I will come back and forth and do whatever I need to to make this work. But uh, I'm pretty stoked about getting out of here. Why don't they seed the clouds and make it rain? We're the machines that can go up in the sky with big fans and vacuums and suck this stuff out. There you have it. Sam is in Atlanta visiting his friend Jeep. Yeah, that's the young man's name, Jeep, J-E-E-P. And uh, they're just catching up. Sam's first time on a plane by himself. He's 14, 6'1", 250 pounds, and uh, I guess it was pretty effortless, except that his bag would not fit in the overhead, so he had to get a little bit of help, and he may have panicked a little bit. But I've spoken to him a few times, and he's on a 10-day holiday in a new location, so that's pretty cool. And Zoe and uh, her mother are taking off to the Washington area to check out some colleges and see some English boy band thing that my daughter wants to see, which I guess is an early birthday present from her mother. So there you go. And that's about it. Uh, All is well, except for the smoke. And, uh, And here we go. Hey, Marla. Hey, Rob. Hey, Mark. You guys are doing work together and independently. We work together on bridging the divide. We do talks, workshops, films that kind of focus on bridging our political divide. For the last couple of years, I've been doing the weekly talk at the Medford Library and also occasionally at the Ashton Library. I do certain things alone. Rob does certain things alone. We do certain things together. We always collaborate. We help each other 
on whatever project we're doing. I've started doing, for example, small intimate salons showing films that are controversial. So we're kind of freeform. How did you guys end up getting together? On November 9th, 2016, I woke up thinking, I have to do something about this political divide. Already there was so much vitriol on both sides, and I didn't know how that was going to happen. I made some forays into different ideas. And in January, I read in the Rogue Valley Messenger that somebody was doing talks in order to bridge the divide. And so we met right away and decided to work together. And we did our first talk together in July of last year. So that was a little over a year ago and the rest is history. We haven't been going at it for that long, but we've been going at it pretty intensely. And what are the results thus far of your efforts? Well, we were just talking about that in the car. It's a little hard to quantify, but for example, I had coffee with a friend this morning who said because of being exposed to the bridging idea, she's involved in a nonprofit situation where there's conflict. And she says, I want to go in and help them bridge. And other people who come regularly to these talks, every once in a while I'll say, so those of you who come regularly, have you noticed any changes in your life? We're a lot more relaxed about these things. We're able to see other points of view without getting so triggered. So we do feel like it's having these ripple effects that we're not sure of always. So you're providing people with the ability to leverage some skills that are being specifically focused in areas that you guys are looking to address, but these skills play out across the board for people to help them deal with life in general. Right. It would be the same in couples counseling. The same kind of dynamic, like how do we calm our nervous systems down long enough to get a clearer view of reality? big piece of it, I would say, is learning to hear and understand the other side as opposed to demonizing and having contempt for the other side. We really feel that contempt, the mutual contempt that's driving politics these days is destructive. We live in an era where the right is in power for the most part, except in Oregon and California and places like that. So it's a little harder to get folks on the left on board because I think they feel like they're in the fight for their life, so to speak. So we've not been able to break through to groups like Indivisible and our revolution Southern Oregon groups that are really on the far left to try and bring them into the conversation. But that remains my hope. My hope is that folks will decide that maybe all this resisting is not getting us anywhere. And I, I'm speaking as someone who identifies, as Marla does, as a progressive. You know, I was an Obama supporter, was a volunteer for the campaign. So, you know, we generally don't think that the resistance track is fruitful. And we think it's getting worse and worse and worse. And that we really need to have a meeting of the minds and to find a place more in the center. And that begins by just listening and understanding where people are coming from as opposed to simply kind of demonizing, being open to other points of view. And the other thing I think that Rob is so excellent at is when he does do talks on the issues, he gives both sides or many sides of the issue, but also the historical economic context. You know, before I met him, I wasn't well educated. And I just went along with the ideology of my tribe without really thinking things through. And, and my favorite thing is when I hear a new point of view and I go, I never thought about it that way. Isn't that exciting it's though? It's really exciting, exciting, but for some people's nervous systems, it's the cognitive dissonance. Caught up in the fight, fight against drugs, fight against this, and all this fighting is not getting us frankly anywhere. And that's a constant theme. You know, we don't actually root our work in politics. 
We root it in neurobiology, in personal psychology, what we're learning about what the psychologists call our coalitional instincts, this tribalism that we have, the us-them dynamic. And that's certainly the most important factor in our political divide, but it also covers the personal areas of our life as well, where we tend to have these same kind of us and them dichotomies just in daily life. And I think it's really important, and what we really go over a lot in our talks is we're mammals. So we've got these neurobiological instincts that hijack the prefrontal cortex. So when we're triggered and somehow our threat detection system is getting that we're in danger in some way, we cease to be able to think. One of the guidelines that we give in our talks, remember that the person talking may know something that you don't. The person who's on the other side of the issue may actually have a point that is relevant and important. I believe strongly that the key to bridging our divide is setting aside things that we may believe that may be part of our thinking that just don't add up when you look at them in terms of the data, when you look at a good analysis of it. Set those things aside and be prepared to embrace things that may not be within my worldview but are true, that do seem to line up with what we know about the world. And I think that would be a big step forward. You know, getting people to sit down and hear other perspectives is the best way to forge an ability to have consilience, to find the solution that works for both sides. We're not trying to gloss over differences. I tend to focus more on the issues, and when I'm drawing out different perspectives, I'm very careful to make the best argument I can for whatever side. Try and be an advocate in a sense in the moment so that the people hear what that perspective is getting at so that they can be critical thinkers and analyze it. Jonathan Haidt, whose work we use a lot, he wrote The Righteous Mind, which has had a big influence on these kinds of discussions over bridging our divide. He talks about what he calls the conservative advantage. People on the right tend to actually understand folks on the left. They understand what they're saying, I've discovered that folks on the left tend to not really understand the folks on the right. And you have to be able to understand their arguments in order to argue against them, in order to counter them, in order to show what you believe are the shortcomings. And we tend to get a lot of folks on the right who will come to the talks and will engage. But one of the problems we're having today is folks on the left in this moment of history really do seem averse to getting into the topics and getting into the debate. It's the groups on the left now in the college campuses that are driving the shutting down of free speech. And not that there aren't occasions where maybe some of the free speech stuff on campuses gets too much. You know, some of the provocateurs that come onto campus, there's some legitimate criticism there, but there is a sense on the far left today that we don't want to debate, we don't want to discuss, we want to resist, we want to protest, we want to shout, we want to stop, we want to prevent people from talking. I've had people tell me, that I shouldn't be talking about subjects like race and victim culture. It's just not right today. And, you know, we try and counter that by saying, well, listen, we really have to talk. Well, and again, what we're trying to do is let's get it all out on the table. Even the ideas that may seem really difficult for us to take in, we've got to get those ideas out because if they're bad ideas, we've got to expose them. And what exposes them is light and truth and arguments that counter those bad ideas. We're really big proponents of viewpoint diversity and free speech. Although free speech in a context where you have a right to say whatever you want, but you know, obviously there's a wisdom in how you say what you want to say. It is free speech that really drives our culture to be what it is. 
the fable of the blind men and the elephant. The six blind men were asked to describe an elephant. So one takes the trunk, another takes the tail, another takes the foot, and they all describe just the part they're feeling. The elephant's a big, long trunk, but we feel like in our talks, the potential is that we get the bigger picture. No one knows all the details. I mean, I'm learning constantly about another factor that I never thought had to do with an issue. Our point of view is changing minds is a two-way street. And if I'm meeting with you just so I can figure out how to convince you I'm right, I don't think that's the way to go. It certainly hasn't been for me, but if I go in already thinking, I know you've got a different point of view, but you might have something valid to say. You might just have a point. We try and model that, and I could say, because I've been doing these talks, very issue-oriented talks on a whole range of subjects for the last two years, I try not to invest in a policy. I'm really trying to say these are two ways, there's three ways of looking at it. There's the strengths, there's the weaknesses, but on some of these things, I've been forced, as Marla has, to change our perspective because we've forced ourselves to look at all the evidence we can, take in all the input, and be honest and objective. It's not about being right. It's about finding what seems to be true. To get back to the consilience, I think the hope is this kind of thesis, antithesis, synthesis that it's not about compromise, it's about really coming together with goodwill and curiosity to find new solutions. Yeah. Like Einstein said, the same minds that created a problem will not be able to fix it. We need new minds. In this case, right and left, any polarity brings a new entity. Well, and along those lines, something that we preach a lot is it's really important for people to listen more broadly to different voices that are out there. We live in an era where the media has really become partisan. We've always had a kind of a right-wing media. We still do up in Medford with KMED and what have you. And again, I consider myself a progressive. I don't think people appreciate how much the mainstream media tilts to the left. And that's gotten even more so in the Trump era. I'm not a Trump supporter, yet I'm troubled by the fact that so much of our mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, MSNBC now, I would say is as bad as Fox News was in the 1990s under Roger Ailes. You will not hear a conservative perspective on MSNBC. Whereas right now on Fox News, you will actually get a debate between conservatives that have their home in Fox News and folks are on the left, even the far left. I've seen many of the people who support Black Lives Matter, who support issues of diversity and equity and what have you, they're on Fox News. You won't find the same thing on MSNBC and sometimes even CNN right now. So I think it's critical that people listen, take in their news broadly. If you listen to JPR and NPR, understand that those stations lean very left not necessarily willful. A lot of it just has to do with how people on the left and the right see and experience the world differently. Some of the stuff that we get into on our talks on Bridging the Divide is how it is that we really have these kind of conservative personality types and kind of more liberal personality types. And there's good science underneath it. So again, the importance of viewpoint diversity, listen to a broad array of voices, try and get input from people you disagree with. It's healthier. And I think like Marla says, it'll also on a personal level, it'll calm you down. It'll make you realize that the world's not gonna end tomorrow because somebody disagrees with you. To get back to the resistance issue, the data suggests that the resistance is actually winning the president more support. The right-wing media is able to stir up all this anti-left sentiment because all they have to do is run all the crazy things that some of these groups on the left are doing. It's interesting to compare where we are the summer of 2018 
to where we were exactly eight years ago, the summer of 2010. Summer of 2010 was when all hell broke loose over the Affordable Care Act. That's when we had all these crazy town halls with all these Tea Party people talking about death panels. Well, the same thing has happened now in the era of Trump. Now we've got the folks on the left doing the same kind of reaction over immigration, over the appointment of the Supreme Court justice. My new favorite word is effective. Is it effective or not? Instead of dealing the more utopian idea, let's work with what is and go from there. And I think that would cause a whole different baseline of work. What I'm reading a lot in these other organizations is what they try to do, like living room conversations, started by Joan Blades, who started Move On, or one of the people who started Move On, so she's quite progressive. She developed a format where people get together, groups of four or six, three of each side, and have dinners, and they have discussions about politics. But mostly, the idea is with the people who are doing this kind of work, you have to get to know people as people. Once you're bound by humanity, then there's a whole other thing that can happen. And the other thing I hear over and over again, to be able to approach the other person with at least some modicum of goodwill. And for me, it's at least be neutral. Instead of anticipating and expecting that you're on the other side, you're evil or an idiot or you know a threat to me in some way. Psychologically speaking, developmentally, when we're little, we only have the capacity to see things as good or bad or right or wrong or this or that. Normally, as adults, we grow out of that and we begin to see more nuance and understand the gray and live with more paradox. But it's my opinion that most of us, even as chronological adults, don't get there. We don't get beyond that splitting. So I think what we really try to do in everything we do, it's embedded in the movie nights and embedded in the talks, the workshops, is getting beyond this splitting. And I think that's a huge part of this emotional maturity to know that I'm both good and bad I'm right and wrong I'm not right about everything sometimes in the talks I'll say who here thinks they're right all the time and of course no one raises their hand but then I said so why is it so hard to admit that we're wrong sometimes so we cover that too I do more of the psychological personal stuff and Rob's more the bigger context and the issues facts etc I just did a talk on victimhood culture, which is part of a larger problem that we're having. There's a great book coming out called The Coddling of the American Mind by John Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, who's the head of FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. They're a big free speech campus group, but you know this victimhood culture that's developed on campus, the safe spaces, the trigger warnings, the anti-hate speech, really grows out of a larger phenomena in the environment. You've heard about bubble-wrapped kid. Kids today have been coddled. There's an underlying issue that really grows out of a change in American culture that began in the 1980s in terms of how we raised kids. People in the 80s began to be terrified that their children were going to be snatched away by a child molester, what have you. You have John Walsh and the, that, all of that. That's had a real impact. Utah just passed a law, a pro-free-range kids law because in a lot of communities, kids wandering around by themselves, that's either against the law or... Negligent parent. There's a fear that has set in since the 1980s because of the media exposure to child kidnappings. Even though, again, when you look at the data, its children have never been safer than before. Crime has just plummeted in the last few decades. And yet, people's perception of the world is at odds with that. People are so worried nowadays we have all these anti-bullying laws and what have you. And the argument is that maybe that stuff has gone too far because, for example, when you and I were growing up, a little bit of bullying on the schoolyard was probably a good prophylactic for life. It taught you to learn resilience. There's a great book called Anti-Fragile 
that talks about the need we have to be able to be exposed to the bad things that can hurt us, to strengthen us. So this has kind of permeated the culture. We do want to do a workshop on this coddled kids idea because it really affects how our kids are coming out of high schools, into colleges, and then into the workplaces. The universities coddle kids. Kids are coming in out of colleges, into the corporations and business world now, and they don't know how to deal with the nastiness and the vicissitudes of life in a workaday world. The question is, if you protect your kids and don't expose them to those things, are they going to be able to swim or are they going to sink? So that's an example where parents really do need some education. Where are they going to get it? They need to get it in the community somehow. And that's part of what we do with our talks and with our bridging. It isn't just the politics of it. It's how we can learn from particularly a lot of the new science that's coming online, how we can learn to better parent, raise children that can really be effective citizens, effective people in the community. You know, you need a driver's license to operate an automobile. Any idiot can drop a baby from between their legs. <laughs> well, we used to get a lot of this stuff through churches. We used to get it through civic organizations, community organizations. Did a lot to reinforce values that were helpful in building society. Not perfectly, but you know, there was a purposeful ability to do that. These organizations have gone to the wayside. There's a lot of people that are unmoored from any kind of community that might be able to speak to issues of, well, how should I raise my kids? And well, where's the tribe? Exactly. Where's the grandparents telling stories about examples of life for you to learn? Where's the sending the kid away, not afraid they're gonna get molested for six months out in the world so they can learn about themselves and their fellow human being? We don't do any kind of exercises to promote that kind of thinking and nurturing. My son and I stood up here one day and they were demonstrating outside about the school shootings. And my son is 6'1", 250 pounds at 14. So he doesn't look like a little kid. And he certainly doesn't think like a little kid. He's really smart. But he stood up here and we looked outside and I was recording a show at the time and he said, what are they doing that for? I said, because if they don't, who's gonna do it? and it was all a bunch of old people out there. Really, for the most part, they were all over 70 years old. I said, this is how you get things done. This is why you have a voice. And the whole idea is you find other voices so you can sing loudly and let people hear you. And those that can't have a voice, at least you can be a voice for them to make some social change. So it's better for your children and your grandchildren. I said, but you can't stand up here and watch other people do your work for you. The 60s was so exciting because people came together. They knew that there was a common goal of making it better for all of them. And being right was only important in the sense of stopping the war. But it wasn't about just being right, it was about just being available and being a brother and sister and being able to serve. And we've gotten all away from this whole serving mentality and brother and sister mentality. And we're totally fragmented, which is why you have to do what you have to do, which is just trying to bring everybody back together. I mean, isn't that what Kabbalah is about? I guess fundamentally, they said the world has been exploded into a billion pieces. It's our job to put it back together. Right, it's that balance between chaos and order. And it's interesting bringing back to the left-right dynamic because the left tends to represent the more chaos side, which is good. Sometimes we need disruptions. Sometimes that needs to be challenged because it can get encrusted with oldness and stagnation. So we need a little bit of chaos to shake it up a little bit. But sometimes we shake it up too much and we lose that foundation. We become unmoored. We need to be able to speak up and change this. At the same time, sometimes change can be wrought with terrible consequences. 
Now look at the situation in Venezuela. It wasn't too long ago that you were hearing all kinds of glowing reports about the revolution down in Venezuela. The change, the mood for change was really strong. But look at what's happened in Venezuela today. Too much change, change that's not kept within proper proportions can be really, really destructive. So it's not an either or, it's a both end. We have to have chaos. We have to have disruptors like the 60s that stood up and said, hey, hey, we got to change this. At the same time, we have to respect those institutions that have held us together. Remember, the past is the fruit of what people democratically chose back then. Their wishes are still part of the story. You have to hold on to structure without becoming embalmed in. One thing we're really sensitive about is unintended consequences, and we actually want to do a workshop on that, because one of the classes we did do, which was really eye-opening for a lot of people, was called The Limits of Empathy. Well, it was called Against Empathy. What we did is we showed a movie called Poverty, Inc., which was a documentary about foreign aid and NGOs and different countries, and with really good intentions some of the time, really creating problems there, like when Tom's Shoes gave, for every shoe we bought here, they gave a free shoe to a village in Haiti, and the cobblers went out of business. This is part of what I've discovered in kind of being a bleeding heart liberal, so to speak, myself, is we have to look at the bigger picture, the bigger ramifications, and even Van Jones and his whole book, Beyond the Messy Truth, is about that the right needs the left and the left needs the right. We're going to be doing a series of talks up at Equal Point in the library. We're trying to get young people, we're trying to get high school kids, younger people to come out, and we'll be talking about basics of how to think clearly, how to think critically, and because those are the skills that we desperately need. All right, well, I look forward to more stuff from you guys. Thanks so much. Stay tuned. The world is what it is, you know? What is it? I think it's a bit of a mess right now, but, you know, it's been in a mess before, so it'll probably come out of this one in some form or another, but I think people will have to step up a little bit more, and apparently they are. Young people, a lot of women, people of color are stepping up, and they're going to have an effect. An interesting fact I just found out the other day, Emily's list, pro-choice Democratic women. Basically, they've been supporting candidates for office. It could be, you know, like they're running for mayor, city council, local offices, all the way up to Congress, and they help them form a team and they help them fundraise. In 2015, about a thousand people applied to Emily's list for assistance. This year, 36,000 women applied for candidacy help. As of today, 40,000. They're teaching them how to fundraise and they're helping them form teams because you need a team to help get you elected. And it's called Emily's List. If you go to this site, emilyslist.org, they show run for office, introduction, about run to win, trainings and training center. The candidates, they have candidates for House, Senate, Governor, State and Local, and ways to donate to them. E-M-I-L-Y-S-L-I-S-T, one word, dot org. That's it, buddy. All right. Love you, Alan. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. All right. Love you, too. Bye. See you later. See you. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Marla and Rob. 
Bridging the Divide and the Weekly Talk, theweeklytalk.com. They have an event coming up, How Do We Get Beyond Left and Right, this Saturday, the 11th, at 1 p.m. at the Medford Library in the large auditorium, helping us bridge the divide between us. Also, I want to thank uh, Alan Hicks for uh, saying hello and presenting uh, Emily's List, an online platform that's assisting women in achieving political office. 2020 is going to be badass. I'm telling you right now, 2020, clear vision. There's some things afoot in the positive way. I'm feeling an upswing. We need all this diversity, all this pain and suffering, all this contrast, so we can really see that we got to get some stuff done. We got to get together and get some things done. I see it happening. 2020 is only a couple years away. We say there's a pendulum. We're the pendulum pusher. We do it however we want to do it. It's our thing to do. No end game. End game is taken care of. We go bye-bye. We need the now game, the game of just getting together and just huddling up, man. Making this a family. Doing the family thing. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Gratuity is appreciated. I'm going to Idaho. My timing is impeccable. Coming and going everywhere I've been. Coming into the world, getting out of LA, coming to San Francisco, getting out of San Francisco, coming to Ashland, getting out of Ashland, going to Idaho. I'm dialed in. Y'all should just follow me because my luck is solid. I know what I'm doing and I don't even need to know what I'm doing. I just do's it. Gratitude. Take that key in your hand. Start examining what you have. Help others. Serve, serve, serve. You will get everything you want. I'm out of here. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. Now that you've left scars on me, yours are easier to see. These things really hurt And they don't go away We might be even, maybe not But now is all we've really got So maybe we could put out Knives away And listen to each other Listen to the wind Listen to the weather Outside and Does it really matter who 
turn it is to win Let's listen to each other Listen to the wind Presence of flowers and light 
is enough. I can find God in the simplest stuff. The presence of flowers and light is enough. There's nothing below and there's nothing above. The presence of flowers and light is enough. Some people paint eagles, others paint doves. The presence of flowers and light is enough. When shove comes to push, and push comes to shove, the presence of flowers and light is enough. I don't need weapons, I know what I trust. Presence of flowers and light is Of flowers and light. 